With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. And a special thanks to the Blog Talk Radio team for featuring this show all day today on their website. I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy, history, and the community an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, if you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, and I do see some of you in the chat room, please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can call in and ask a question or make a comment. Now, following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Genealogy and History Forum of Afrogenius.com and on my Facebook page, Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Well, tonight's broadcast is about family research that broadened into community research. And some of you may remember, or I just want to refresh your memory on some of the shows that we've had in the past some of those shows that may be relevant to the discussion tonight. Dr. Deborah Abbott's show on cluster genealogy may hold the clue. Participation of people of African descent in the American Civil War uh, by uh, Benny McRae. And we also talked to uh, Dr. Carla Peterson, where she shared the history of her family in 19th century New York, with the story in her book, Black Gotham. Well, my guest tonight is going to talk about this community. The Children Discovery Group's mission is to research, document, and preserve the history of the 260-year-old land-owning mixed-race community in the Winton Triangle, located in the northeastern North Carolina's Hereford County. Now, my special guest, Marvin T. Jones, is the executive director of the Chihuahua <laughs> Discovery Group, which was founded in 2007. Jones co-produced in 2009 its major presentation, a stave production scripted by him called The Witten Triangle. And then a book, The Carolina Genesis, Beyond the Color Line, features Jones' summary of the triangle's history. So in addition to writing articles, Jones has made a number of presentations about the Wenton Triangle's history on national and regional radio, at colleges, universities, museums, and to civic groups. The North Carolina Office of the Archives and History accepted four of his nominations for highway historical markers. And, I mean, that is just amazing just to hear about those markers. So let me give a warm welcome to Marvin T. Jones to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Marvin, welcome. 
Good evening, Bernice. Good evening. Great to talk to you again. Well, great to talk to you, and I am just so excited. I I just love to hear about the community, and, and I talk about it a lot when I talk about genealogy because while so many of us, we are actually tracing the history of our family, we also have to look at our family in the context of the community where they live. But before we start talking about the Wenton Triangle, why don't you tell us, just give us some additional information about yourself. Well, um, I just had my 61st birthday at a fun, and had a fundraiser for the Chihuahua Discovery Group. I grew up and in the Wenton Triangle. And happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, excuse excuse the congestion. I'm I'm improving, um, and I'm a commercial photographer in Washington. I have been for a long time. So so being a, a documentary person has been my career. Um, it's been my career. I've worked for businesses institute. Well, I I do business with business businesses institutions and governments. Uh, I've been around. Worked outside the U.S., around the U.S., certainly in the Washington area, in North Carolina as well, in other states. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of what I do with the Chihuahua Discovery Group is tied with photography, the scanning, the cataloging, the, the photographing of documents and artifacts and people, um, also branching into <clears throat> into audio and video um we just want we want a grant last year to produce a video about Dunbar High School in D.C., and that was a project I could do here in Washington. Uh, but I considered our high school in the Winton Triangle, our oldest high school, to be the Dunbar of that community. Oh, and okay. We, and so we're planning to do Chihuahua Discovery. We'll do documentaries about the Winton Triangle starting this year. Well, we already have footage. Yeah. Well, oh, that is wonderful. I mean, just to be able to take that footage and then turn around <laughs> and have this beautiful, wonderful documentary of that community. But tell us a little bit more about Hereford County, North Carolina, and exactly where is the Winton Triangle? Well, Hereford County is in the northeastern corner on the Virginia border. Its northern and eastern border is formed by the Chihuahua River. Um, it is maybe 40 miles southeast of Suffolk, Virginia. It's, it, Virginia is east of Elizabeth City. It's sort of northwest of Rocky Mount. These are not great towns, but some people may have heard of. And we have people that commute every day <clears throat> from Hertford County to the shipyards in Newport News. So we are probably more oriented towards um, the Hampton Roads area than we are oh, to the central okay. part of the state. Yes. Yes, Although yes. we have a lot of people who've settled in the in the central part of the state because they've gone to colleges like A and T and in North Carolina Central, Bennett, Saint Aug, and so on. Mhm, mhm. <clears throat> so, what is the size of of the Winton Triangle? It is not <clears throat> really a triangle. <clears throat> I should. First, it is it is formed by the the triangle itself is formed by the towns of Winton, Coalfield, and Ahoskie. Ahoskie is the largest of the three towns, of Winton being the oldest. The the land mass owned by the people of color is was about ten miles wide, and it traversed that triangle, ten miles wide wide to at some point maybe nine miles from 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 north to south. And we don't have numbers on the square miles or acreage, but I would like to know that. Um, there are a lot of demographics that can be done on all this. That That's one that, you know, we are like the edge of what defines the Native American, African, and European community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have long been known for, you know, being those light-skinned folks from Ahoski. I put in quotes. But no one's ever really talked about the amount of land ownership that we've had and that we've carried over from generation from, to generation from century to century. Mm-hmm. Uh, this land ownership began in the 1760s when our first landowner of color, who, who uh, landowners of color, who were mixed race people, a mixed race fam- <laughs> families from the Chesapeake Bay, moved into Hereford County. 
And so in the 1740s, that's where our communities began. And our second settler um, bought land next to the Meharan Indian Village. And the Meharans are Iroquois village that had been in the area for, for, of course, thousands of years or hundreds of years in Virginia, and they migrated because of colonial pressures into Hereford County. Uh, the original inhabitants were the Chowanoke people, and I'm a Meharan and a Chowanoke descendant. Mm-hmm. So I I grew up four miles from where the Chowanoaks were living in 1586 when the English first explored the Chowan. Now, this is 21 years before Jamestown. Yes, I'm hearing that. And so, Which in itself is interesting, yes. Uh, um, the, the English attempted to settle in North Carolina, and that that was their third, that was their second expedition. The English stayed for a year during the second expedition, and they met the Chowanoke people. So they came within four miles of where I was born, uh, where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. We are agricultural people. Um, and one thing I like to say about land ownership. <laughs> excuse the coughing again, is that it takes a lot of skill to be landowning and to pass it on from generation to generation, from century to century. It means being multi-skilled with tools, with materials. Um, We're talking about making ropes, making buildings, making barrels, uh, blacksmithing, seamstressing, midwifery. Uh, making candles, uh, creating bricks, converting wood and clay into buildings to be able to to take those skills and trade with neighbors and family and with the powers that be as i call as I call them who are outside the community mhm and so and you're so, talking about a self sustaining community with uh, with the skills that you've described that's correct self-sustaining community, and by the time the Civil War came along, these families were already 100 years old. Um, it's a, yeah, 100 years old. Uh, they already were probably several square miles in ownership. They, I'm starting to find evidence where they were in touch with other free families of color uh, in, the other, in the surrounding counties. Because there was marriage, there were marriages between free families in the surrounding counties and the Winton Triangle. Mm-hmm. And what made the Winton Triangle a big center, a nucleus of of our free free people of color, was the establishment of Pleasant Plains Church in 1851. And so, when that church was established. Um, you still had whites who oversaw it. We had to have white pastors. I'm a member of Pleasant Plains also. I'm fifth or sixth generation. Mm-hmm. That attracted other free families. I can imagine free families carting up on Saturday morning and crossing the Chihuahua River and coming crossing other bodies of water, coming into Hertford County on Saturday and camping overnight so they could go to church, but also so they could interact and even intermarry uh, with Winton Triangle families. And then on Sunday afternoon, they would head back to their farms. To their farms. So Pleasant Plains, what denomination is Pleasant Plains Church? It it is Baptist. It is a Baptist church, and it was established in 1851. Now yes. you mentioned you said uh, something about the the Winton the families. How many families uh, have you been able to document in the Winton Triangle that were free free people of color? You know, a few years, a few months ago, <clears throat> I would have had trouble with that, but I started enumerating certain things. We have about forty different family names in, mm-hmm. in the in the twenty in the twentieth century. At the time of the Civil War, we probably had about ten to fifteen family names, and I, and I call them family names if they stayed in the area at least three generations. Okay. Some some families have disappeared, um, have disappeared even before the Civil War and even up up until now. 
You know, mm-hmm. you, you you no longer find those names. But also new families would come in. Mm-hmm. New families would move into the area. Um, I'm <coughs> I'm descended from the James family. My grandmother's family moved into Hertford County from two counties over around World War One. That was that was one of the large. That was one of the last large family that moved into Hertford County. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was born, there were Jameses and 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 Coalfield and um, spread through Ahaski. So, so in my lifetime, or at least in my mother's lifetime, I got to see how a a family could come into the Winton Triangle and within a couple of generations make have an impact in the area. Now, were all of these families landowners? Yes. For example, George James, who my great-grandfather, moved into the area from two counties over, and he bought a grist mill called Montgomery Pond. Mm-hmm. And his son, upon his death, his son took the grist mill stone and opened up a sec- another grist mill that was diesel-powered rather than water-powered, and that grist mill operated... And until the 1970s, so we're talking about a father and son who had grist mills from, say, World War One, until the early 70s. And by the way, there are four grist mill owners in my family. The first one being Jesse Weaver, whose father was a founder of the Winton Triangle, and his grist mill was running in the early 1800s. He left a will in 1834 mentioning the grist mill and a map there's also a map that indicates the grist mill and mm-hmm. its locate and its possible location so for a free family of color to have grist mills and sawmills to have various trades in agriculture and aquaculture because a lot of them fished um building trades uh, and it wasn't typical south in Hereford County um, yes. The whites weren't weren't quite as weren't quite as harsh either. To give you another idea of what the whites were like in Hertford County, in the 1840s, when this was still a new idea, two women's colleges were established: a Methodist and a Baptist college, um, a Methodist and Baptist colleges for women. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> um, the Seven Sisters, you know, the famous Seven Sisters, were founded. Uh, around that period, a little bit before and a little bit after. So that was a new idea. So the whites were thinking um, fairly progressive. They were still, you know, Southern. They still had antebellum and Jim Crow sensibilities, but they didn't push it as hard as, say, the Powells in Virginia or Mm -hmm. the rest of the state. Well, it's interesting that you would say that because clearly I'm thinking to myself, you have this this large number of free people of color who are owning land, and my question was about Jim Crow. I mean, what did they experience uh, from the white community? You, I mean, you said they weren't as harsh, but there were still some experiences, I would gather. Well, now some folks might say, that, well, a lot of you are related to the white people um, because you're so light. You look so much like them. We do have people among us that are Scotch-Irish and mm-hmm. who look Scotch-Irish. I have relatives who look Scotch-Irish. And so, and so, however, a lot of our names we don't share with the local white people. Okay. A lot of our names uh, we don't have in common. And... And by the time the 20th century came around, a lot of us could not identify white relatives, could not say those people down the road are related to us. Yes, yes. Or even prove that they were, or you know, have any evidence because the families had been established for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of the early families had white mothers. And I'm descended from at least three men who had men of color who had white wives. Mm-hmm. And I'm related to two of the, I'm descended from two of the wives. Okay. So but are you it's saying, a different but, story. Yeah, it, it does sound like it's a different study, story because what you sound like you're saying, though, is that all of 
the the people of the Wenton Triangle could not identify a white ancestor. Is that what you're saying? Maybe not all of them, but a great deal of them. A great, a great deal, deal of, them. of them. In the 20th century would not be able to identify. And, of course, you had some families as far back as as um, 100 years earlier throughout the mm-hmm. 19th century. The Weaver, fa- the Weaver family uh, definitely couldn't identify white ancestors. For example, the earliest Weaver came from India. The Weavers... Our, our large family in Virginia, around the Chesapeake Bay, they came from India, uh-huh. incredibly enough, and so, and so some of them came into the Winton Triangle. Winton uh, William Weaver was the second landowner of color, and we don't know about his wife. His wife could have been a woman of color. She could have been a a, a former indentured servant. She could have been white. Uh-huh. And so, and so from that point on, the weavers through the mail line could not say, would would not know of any white relatives. Mm-hmm. But what differences have you found between the Wenton Triangle's free people of color and individuals that were formerly enslaved? Um, it's incredible difference. For one thing, because it was a homogenous and contiguous community, slaves lived outside of the Winton Triangle. Plus, slaves could not, whites would not allow slaves to attend (coughs) Pleasant Plains Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. Um, For 30 years, Plains had white pastors, and they 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 had deacons from a white church who would also oversee the church, even though the church had its own deacons of color. So slaves lived outside, which could be anywhere from the farm next door or several farms away. And some of the, some of their neighbors were were whites who didn't own slaves, who did not own slaves. Uh-huh. Um, most slave owners lived along the Chowan River, because uh, that's where the plantations tend to be. They tend to be al- along the rivers, mm-hmm. and so and so the smaller far- smaller smaller white farmers, well, farmers uh, white farmers with smaller farms were less likely to have slaves. So there may not be that much of interaction, <clears throat> um, but there is a great difference when you have been. Your family has been established for a hundred years, and you and you are possibly literate. A lot of these people were literate, and you are skilled at all that you you have all these community skills. You're skilled with you know building, with growing food, with economics, with trading, with getting along with family members and neighbors, and so forth. It's a tremendous difference when. As a as a slave, you're lucky if you have a brother, a mother, um, that you have anything of your own. And slaves have had everything taken away from them, not allowed to to build a community, not allowed to, in so many cases, not even have a trade, not have a child to pass on wealth, wisdom, or love. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and slaves didn't have what they had in Africa. And you know, my great grandmother was a slave. One of my great grandmothers was a slave. She was a mulatto. Her mother was black. Um, she probably is possible that they, those two did not have what their ancestors had in Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of slaves didn't even know about growing personal gardens. If you if you hear what Booker T. Washington had to report about his own experience and what he saw in Alabama uh, when he first arrived, and so that's a big chasm. However, after the Civil War, it was Winton Triangle people that were the teachers of slaves. They were able to go to Hampton and Shaw. They were already educated to some point. <clears throat> One of our leaders brought in a Brought in a New England missionary woman who had already who, who had already been teaching freed people 
on Roanoke Island in North Carolina. Her name was Lydia Warwick, and I would love to know more about Lydia Warwick. Mm-hmm. But but when she was brought in after the war, she was able to elevate our education. That was that was that's the first instance of us being I can I've found of us being able to elevate the education when Lydia Warwick came in. There may have been another man, a Quaker named Joseph uh, Ade, uh, A-D-D-E, possibly from Pennsylvania, who may have done the same thing, brought in by the same Winton Triangle leader. Uh So while the the enslaved were not in Winton Triangle after the war, was it that the people of the Winton Triangle felt a responsibility to at least provide assistance to those who were formerly enslaved? I'd say it would be mixed. You have some that didn't want to have much to do with slaves, and then you had some that did. A lot of a lot of Winton Triangle men fought in the Union Army, and they served with ex-slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, they wanted slavery gone, and they wanted they wanted the Confederacy defeated. Uh, some Winton Triangle soldiers rode in rode into Richmond when Robert E. Lee had to ride out. Mm-hmm. Uh, these same these same soldiers were in Texas around the time of Juneteenth. Yes, yes. And they returned to North Carolina. So, so I would say it's a mixed relationship. It's also opportunity because because. If you if you want to be a teacher, you can teach in the Winton, Winton Triangle, but you can also teach in areas where it's really needed. Mm-hmm. Well, I have one more question to ask you, and we're going to take a break. And All right. this is this is a question for that, that probably everyone. I mean, if they're going to study their family history, what motivated you to study the community, and why is it important <clears throat> to tell the story about your community? Well, the neat thing is, I grew up hearing about all these people, all all my ancestors, and and I'm buried, and I, and they're buried around me. I grew up on, I grew up on ancestral land. Um, I'm a fourth generation. Well, I'm a fourth generation owner of the farm I grew up on, and my, and so. I wanted to take it beyond the family, though, because I was not just interested in my family. I was interested in the community I grew up with. A lot of us from the Winton Triangle, when we left to go off to college or to work, we found that we were different. We found that we had our own stores, and that addresses Jim Crow. We didn't have to deal with a lot of Jim Crow because many of us had relatives that owned stores. My mm-hmm. father owned a store. And so, and so some of our economy was, was was insular and we didn't have to depend on white store owners white garage people you know white this white that cuz we provided our own services in fact some of us even had white tenants we were landlords of white people and we mm-hmm. um we had we had whites who had there were whites who had credit accounts with my father's store Mm-hmm. And they needed, and they needed it. They needed to, they needed to have a credit account. Um, when my father passed recently, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, the son of one of his credit customers came in to the house to express how much his family needed that credit. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we were asset to a lot of people, and so I, you know, I, and I said this is different than what I'm hearing about in other black communities, whether it's rural or in the city. And I said it needs to be investigated. I'm a documentary person, after all. I'm a curious person. I'm an explorer. Mm-hmm. So, so by, by exploring your your family history, did it give you a, a different sense of of community? I mean, you're saying right now you you left your community. And you 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 saw something different. You felt something different. Yes, by stepping out, I saw something that nobody else ha- saw or had seen in well over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. I saw even within my own family how <clears throat> how let's say two generations back how people helped each other. And my father was a great library of of knowledge and he would tell me how people helped each other and 
And I kept looking for more examples of how people achieved and helped each other. Mm-hmm. Again, we are known for being, light, you know, just light-skinned folks, but what we accomplished is rarely, if ever, talked about. Mm-hmm. So my mission is to point out we are the, we are an accomplished people. We got a lot done. We we created our own high school. Um, it was the only one for 40 years for counties around. We had all these stores. We um, we have a resort beach. We have a if you if you look at the satellite image of the town of Ahaska, you'll see this large oval. Well, that's our fairgrounds. We had our own fairgrounds with a quarter mile racetrack, and we still have it. It's mm-hmm. no longer running, but we still have the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, for rural, we produced fifteen physicians over a hundred years. We had six. We had and have six college presidents. This is a rural area. <laughs> yes, it, and and it just sounds like a, a wonderful story to tell. And and you're so fortunate to have had your father to be a part of that that wonderful journey and that wonderful history. He was the greatest resource, no question about it. In his store, everyone came through. He was very popular, and he had a very good store. I worked in it for six years. And I got to see loggers, carpenters, garage people, teachers, farmers, all kinds of people. I got to see how the... Salesman of the warehouse distributors in Ahaska, which made Ahaska larger than other towns, how these white salesmen interacted with my father. You know, they, and it was a respectful relationship. So they would come in with <coughs> their clip their clipboards at, every week and take take an order from my father, and the next day a truck would arrive, you know, bringing in the goods for the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether the, whether they were dry goods, whether you know whether it were packaged, whether it was fresh, uh, whether it was produce, meats, whatever, and so um, I got to see in that store, in many ways, how the Winton Triangle worked. Yes, and you had a a, a unique experience that uh, may be quite different from others. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back. One minute break, okay? That's fine. and beyond blog talk radio this is your host bernice alexander bennett and you can join me every thursday at 9 p.m eastern time now tonight is special but every thursday you will have an opportunity to hear an expert share resources stories and answer your burning genealogy questions Now, remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Now, you have been listening to Marvin T. Jones, Executive Director of the Chawan Discovery Group. And so I'm going to bring him back on because he's been telling us stories about the land-owning, free people of color community of the Winton Triangle. And he's shared just a wealth of information with us about the community, but let's find out a little bit more. Now, Marvin, how does genealogy play a role in your research of your community? Genealogy can be the first tool 
that you use because you branch out from your family and then you want to find out the people connected to them. Um, I've heard some historians dismiss genealogy, but I think the moment, one moment for me where genealogy really scored was when a, a Winton Triangle genealogist um, who was running down the begets, which can bore, bore me, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and so-and-so. But then I realized in, during those begets that two of our leaders married into the same family. And at the time, I'd been trying to, to connect a lot of our leaders to each other. Uh, from, you know, leaders of the same generation, half generation, and the next generation. And so I have since connected all these people to, to find out how they interacted. But in the early part of the research, I didn't know how they were connected. Mm-hmm. And so some were related, some had married married into each other's families or or had married into the same family. And... Um, and it's still it's still needed. For example, we have a there's a woman I want to know more about. She was when the Union, when Union gunboats were sent up the Chilwan River to take to, con, to control the Chilwan. When the boat got to when the first boat got to Winton, one of our women was sent down to the wharf, Martha Keene, by the Confederates to lure the boat in and act like everything was okay, while on the bluff above, the boat would be shot to smithereens. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out that the commander of the USS Delaware saw the guns and turned around and came back a few hours later and burned the town with some friends and burned the town down. Well, what about Martha King? There's a plaque, there's a historical marker for the burning of Winton, but there's nothing about the woman Martha King. Mm-hmm. So genealogy. This is a woman who was going to be placed between two sets of cannons. Fortunately, only one set fired. So genealogy has quickly told me a, uh, a friend, Alice Harris, looked up Martha King quickly, and <coughs> Alice told me that Martha King was a 35-year-old woman married to John King. She had three children. Nine and under. There's no way in hell that Martha Keene would have wanted to be on that wharf, even though the Confederates said they paid her and her husband. No amount of money would want her in that situation. Mm-hmm. What I want to know next is, what? Who were her cousins and her brothers? Because two years later, a lot of our young men were on that same wharf boarding U.S. gunboats to enlist in U.S. colored troops. Mm-hmm. And the likelihood of Martha having an in-law or a brother or brothers and cousins on that wharf is is very likely. Yes. And so we know she lived until she was 90. She was, she died during World War One. It will be great to know where she was buried. Other than that, her life was not remarkable. But she played a, a role in, at a certain moment, and I believe some of her family members played an important role in the war as well. Mm-hmm. And that's genealogy. That's genealogy. Of a that's woman right. I'm not related to. Mm-hmm. So far. And, and you know, <laughs> I, I mentioned earlier uh, we talked about uh, another show. I had a cluster genealogy. And so what you're basically saying is you, you you need to do cluster genealogy. You need to study all of the people in the community, the people who live next door and down the street and around the corner, just to start connecting the dots to these people and the, the relationships. Yes, you want to know the world that your family lived in. Yes. And I'm not just wanting to know the world that my family lived in, but I want to know the world that helped create me. I mean, I, I felt I grew up in a remarkable community. And so and so, public research and genealogy really help out a lot. Um, uh, one thing I can recommend to a lot of genealogists is to learn the media tools, is to 
is to learn enough video and audio to get good interviews of people, to know how to scan photographs well, to get good resolution of those photographs, to be able to catalog them well, uh, even scan the back of the pictures, the photographs if they hold information, to look for documents. Another thing that makes the <clears throat> Winton Triangle different is that there are a lot of documents. Mm-hmm from the 19th century because it was a literate community. Uh, the day the, the day of the last Winton Triangle stage production, I got a call from a collector who had these amazing papers of one of our leaders. It just buckled my knees, and the next day, even though I wanted to take a break, I went over to his house, and he showed me these boxes of papers that just floored me. Mm-hmm. And after about six months, he loaned the, the papers to me, and I spent several months scanning them. It was a remarkable find. Um, and the day before, and a few days ago, he called because he has another box available, and he's now ready to donate those papers. Oh, that's wonderful! Papers I hadn't seen, the ones I've scanned. That is absolutely wonderful. Well, you know, just tell us about, you know, just give us an idea of some of the documents discovered about the community. Well, the, in my family, some people may be tired of hearing, hearing this, but in my family, the old, we have the oldest Winton Triangle document. It's, it's 1831. It's my great-great-grandfather's document. And it states that he's a free man of color of Gates from Gates County, which is across the river from the Chowan River. He's a Chowanoke descendant. He grew up in the last days of the Chowanoke community. And when I saw the document, I said, why did, why did he have to have a document stating he was a free man of color? And But I knew what happened in 1831, so I looked at the date, and it was August 25th. It was four days after the Nat Turner Rebellion, which took place next door to Hertford in Gates County. And and the waters of the Chowan flow right up to Nat Turner. Uh-huh. And so and so this is a document that was prop it was a document he was probably required to have all along, but that time he really needed it because, you know, the tremendous backlash from the Nat Turner Rebellion. That's right. Well, you know what you're you're mentioning this, but I also had a guest on my show, and she spoke of freedom papers and the importance of having those papers. And you were able to connect that 1830 document with an event that had occurred in the community. Right. So essential. Yes. Absolutely. Right. Um, and there are other documents. For example, we have a letter from young man, Joe Weaver, who was asked by our first real educational leader to describe his days at Hampton Institute. Mm -hmm. And the letters dated June 1868. Hampton opened just two months earlier as a four-page letter. Um, We have promotion documents of soldiers. We have... We have all kinds of letters. Uh, we have a letter, this same educational leader, w. D., uh, William David Newsom. We have a letter from Hampton written by another Hampton Institute student from our community asking for a summer job. And 14 years later, Newsom and this young man are are the founders of our high school. Newsom becomes our largest landowner, and mm-hmm. he has a store. He's very wealthy. He served in the state legislature. And so it's not, it's really neat to see the teenage this teenage boy, jo, uh, Joseph Cadus, writing W.D. Newsom, and then 14 years later they do something very great together. Um, and that school is still a high school. Wonderful. A hundred and twenty six years, hundred and twenty seven years later. And you have that eighteen sixty eight letter. Um I have scanned it, but it looks like it will be donated to me. 
However, we really want to well, we really want to put it in an archive in North Carolina. Mhm. Well, there's a question coming out of the chat and uh one of the chatters mm-hmm. states that she has family members that were free people of color in the 1800s in New Bern, North Carolina, and wanted to know would they have been required to carry papers? That was a state law. Okay. So yes. Or, or at least or at least possessed a paper. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I don't think my ancestor carried the paper because it's in good shape, and I'm the eighth owner of that paper now. Um, it's been it's been passed on to me. I'm the eighth family member to own that paper, so so um, it may not have, may not need to be <coughs> carried, but definitely possessed. Possessed, absolutely. Now you mentioned uh, something about gathering pictures and and people sharing this information with you. How do you put the information out that you are kind of the person to share this information with? Well, a lot of it I don't share. I want to share it in in ways of putting pieces together like documentaries and articles and exhibits mm-hmm. and presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it can be, you know, because we're so different, the Winton Triangle can be misunderstood mm-hmm. because a lot of people can't, a lot of people can't understand a community that has a pile of stores and a pile of tradespeople and mm-hmm. and and that worked so well that that flowed so well mm-hmm. a lot of people um have had to live under conditions of chaos of uh, businesses that failed families that failed uh, you have a long tradition in the Winton triangle of of men and women who were partners in their family Mm-hmm. I recently did a tally of the families on my school bus in 1961. I picked 1961. And the families were all intact. Almost every one of the children had had were had two parents and probably grandparents nearby. Um there was a lot of stability in those families on that entire school bus. Mhm. And I'm now I now want to research another one of our school buses. And I've already had a discussion with a with a couple of friends who rode that school bus. So we need to recreate that second school bus's route <coughs> and see if it matches with, with ours with, with bus 43, the one I rode, and, and that my my brothers and my sister rode. Yes, and that's a that that would be an interesting. Uh, an interesting study. To, well, another thing that uh, has to, to be said that I'd like to be able to say, seeking stability in your family and in your community should be a utmost priority in everybody. It really mm-hmm. should be. Um, it's what I've it's what I grew up with, it's what I've seen in the Winton Triangle. You do have some families that didn't fare well. But my, you had a lot, a whole lot more who did and continued to for generation after generation. Um, there's a lot of conceit out there today where people are, are are thinking more about themselves and thinking about the whole. And there's a lot more to be gained by looking at everybody around you and being supportive, not teasing, not backbiting, not putting down, not trying to be cool by by you know making yourself look good at somebody else's expense. Mhm. Mhm. And that just seems like that that should be what a community is there for. I mean, it's the village. It's yes. the, the village to to provide the support of the family and the community, uh, surrounding community. Well, I'd just like to to find out if any any of the chatters or any of you on the phone would like to make a uh, ask a question or make a comment, uh, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Now, while we're waiting to see if anyone would like to call in, I just want you to just tell us just any surprises as you have researched the community. 
Um, I've told about some already. The 1831 document, the the W.D. Newsom papers, which turned out there were two batches, not one. Um, um, a cannonball from the from the bombardment and burning of Winton has appeared. And I've been able to hold that cannonball. Actually, it was one I heard about in high school. It was large in a chimney. Mm-hmm. And so it, because it was large in a chimney, creosote and other acids have turned it into kind of an irregular-shaped cannonball. And it still may be dangerous, but I got to hold the cannonball. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've kind of had to push is even accepting the idea of being a person from a mixed-race community. You know, you want to fit into something bigger, like the African-American community. You want to fit in when you go into the African-American world. But then you realize, well, I have uh, Indian relatives. We have a tribe within us. Um, In fact, we may have, we actually have two tribes uh, within us. Uh, There's been a split. And so, and so, this is a community that has one state-recognized tribe, and it's possible by the end of the year we may have two state-recognized tribes among us. Mm-hmm. So, so it takes a lot to for some of us and for me to make that stretch and say, well, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. Yes, yes. And and there's a mo- there's a mixed race movement going on. Um, um, in fact, you can learn a lot at my friend Steve Riley's website, mixedracestudies.org, and there are over 5,000 postings. And so, and so, America is becoming more, more uh, individuals and families are becoming more interracial. And the Winton Triangle studies that the Chawan Discovery Group is doing puts a lot of that into a historical context. A lot of people think this multiracialism that's going on in America among individuals and families is new, but it's very old. And it has a history. Right. And it has a history. It does have a history, and and the history needs to be shared. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show. We did have a caller, but the caller uh, dropped the, the the line. I'd like to ask you, uh, tell us your website before we uh, end with some more questions. Could you just tell us your website? Definitely. The website is chowandiscovery.org. Chowan is spelled C-H-O-W-A-N, discovery.org. And we are on uh, Marvin, I, Marvin Jones, myself, is on Facebook and also on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter as well, Marvin T. Jones. Okay. Now, you mentioned something about markers, and I want you to say a few words about the markers in your community, but also tell us about the pictures. But before you do that, I see the caller has called back and has a question. Area code 202, you're live, 640, you're live. Area code 202, you have a question? Yes, go ahead. Yes, uh, do you have any idea what caused the disintegration of the unity in the family in the the place where you grew up? And I see it here in these cities in Washington, D.C. Well, that's an issue that is not a Winton Triangle issue. I understand. Oh well, I, I have kind of spoken to that already. If you, a lot of people now take their cues and they're and they're raising, they're rearing from the media. And in the media, you see in sitcoms a lot of people that are acting sassy and thinking for themselves and always trying to undo family members. And uh, the only time a family member is shown in a lot of shows is when they cause a conflict. Um, a lot of our heroes do everything by themselves. And so you have a lot of people growing up thinking that that's the way they're supposed to live. Um we had we had a lot of a lot of our children spoke English reasonably well. Now this is a southerner talking. <laughs> so let's be mindful of what I'm saying. Uh, a rural southerner talking who spoke English fairly well, but the media has since taught them to use to use languages and terms and ways of speaking that 
takes them out of the mainstream, that makes them less economically viable, viable, and 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 less able to fit into a progressive society, and to help themselves at the same time. Okay, well, I'm from Asheville myself, and my father came from uh, the old fields of North Carolina. So um, it's a very interesting your perspective on this. Don't I know you? What's your name? My name is Booker T. Brooks. Oh yeah, how you doing, Mr. Brooks? I know you. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Well, Brooks. Well, thank you, Mr. DC. Brooks, for calling in. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Okay, so what recommendations would you share with others who would like to do a similar research in their community? Write up a lot of questions and find answers to them. Interview a lot, a lot of your family members. Write up a lot of questions about your family. Um, ask them who were their teachers, who were their Sunday school teachers, who were their tradespeople, who were the people that got things done, um, who were the people that helped them get to a certain point, um, who loaned them money to go to school or who helped them go to school, who 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 uh who doctored them who who delivered them um um look at the accomplishment side of your family the the tragedies get out soon enough and are dwell dwell upon a lot but let's let's look at the accomplishments as well mm-hmm. and even though how small they can mean a lot and and a lot of the accomplishments are small but they are numerous Yes, yes. Well, I mean, what you're talking about, looking at the assets in the community. Look at the assets. Look at the Mm -hmm. assets and and the people around you. And, Mm -hmm. um, and And, again, learn how to collect using a camera and using a digital recorder and using a video camera and writing down your questions. Have a list of questions that you ask everybody. you know, it's like a survey that for that when I when I do oral histories, and of course the question, the the ten or twenty questions I have lead to other questions. Certainly, certainly. Well, tell us about the markers that you were able to uh, have placed uh, throughout the Winton Triangle. North Carolina has a historical highway marker program, and the, and the markers are free, but you have to apply for them. You have to you have to provide um, sources of of information on why these markers are important, why they should be recognized. Um, the Chowanoke people were the first. Well, well, that was my first nomination, and and the Chowanoke people are considered gone, even though they may arise again soon as as a separate tribe, um, but. They were the largest tribe in North Carolina. And so with the information that's been published about the Choanoke, I use it as a source. And and what made them stand out was they were the largest coastal tribe when the English first came in the 1500s. So that was the first marker. The second marker was about one of our soldiers uh, who was a state legislator and inventor and a pile of other things, who was also a, rel- a relative of mine. And you see his photograph on the website here. You see him in his uniform, Parker Robbins. Mm-hmm. And the third marker was for Robert L. Van from my community, who turned the the Pittsburgh Courier from a say two or four sheet newspaper into the largest African American newspaper in the 1930s. The fourth marker, which is will be erected this year, is for the first village the English encountered. They destroyed it twice, and, and the English did not benefit from that. And there are other markers that have been nominated as a Freedmen's Colony in Roanoke Island that I've nominated. Um, there is a federal marker, but the state of North Carolina has not recognized it with a marker. And and the people in those free in the Freedmen's Colony were North Carolina citizens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and in, <coughs> now in Virginia, if you get a marker accepted, you have to call for up fifteen hundred dollars. In North Carolina, it's free. Okay, North Carolinians, <laughs> it's time to do that research so that you can get a marker. That is wonderful. 
Well, where does the Chawan Discovery Group go from here? More documentaries. More mm-hmm. documentaries. We, uh, we, we, we want to do one on loggers. We want to do one on on our fair. We already have footage on both. We are. I'm on the board of our local museum, which used to be our high school, which used to be which used to be part of our high school. Our high school is now one building on on the campus. It's a fairly large campus. The and the museum is part of our preservation effort. We want that building preserved. It was a Rosenwald School, ten thousand square foot, making it one of the largest Rosenwald School buildings. And we have expanded programs. I've um Chawan Discovery has raised money and has donated money to the museum for its newer programs. It would be lovely to use half of that campus as an enrichment center for the entire area. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go beyond being a cultural arts center and a museum. Um, it's not enough to just collect this history and present it. You have to be able to use it to build a future. Yes. Yes. And I see the museum, the C.S. Brown Cultural Arts Center and Museum as as an important tool or vehicle for that. Rural areas need regeneration all across America, and, and the Hertford County community is no different. Mm-hmm. And I've, I would love to take, I would love to see C.S. Brown, which played such a great role in the 1900s and the 20th century, uh, in 1800s and the 20th century, and and be able to use it to re- help regenerate that area in the 21st. Yes. Well, I can tell you one thing. I mean, I can hear your passion. You have such commitment uh, to the community, and I'm I'm just hoping that the the listeners, the chatters that you could also feel that that commitment to community and understanding your community and use your genealogy to tell that story. Because I tell you, just listening to you and documenting that story, getting those oral histories, finding those artifacts and pictures, and, I mean, this is what it's all about when we're talking about recreating of trying to understand our family and our family history. It's part of the community history. So this is just wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I want to just tell everyone that I do have a show on this Thursday. And I'm happy that the first Midwest African American Institute's director, that institute is going to be in St. Louis, Missouri, on the campus of the Harris Stowe State University that the director and the coordinators of the program of this institute will be on my show. And they're going to share with you everything you want to know about the Midwest African American Institute, Genealogy Institute. So please tune in on Thursday. This is the first of its kind. So please tune in so that you can learn more about this exciting institute. Well, good night, and thank you so much, Marvin T. Jones. And remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. They left footprints in the community. They left footprints at home. They left footprints in the stores and the churches and the land that they owned. Therefore, you should follow all of the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. So let's keep this conversation going on the Genealogy and History Forum of AfroGenius.com and the research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. Also, everyone, I want to remind you that on Friday you can always wait to hear what's new with the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji. So thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Have a good evening. Good night. Good night. Good night, Marvin. Good night, ShawandaDiscovery.org. Okay, that's right. Thank you so much. Good night, everyone. Good night.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.